0: You're listening to Vox Media. I'm writer and political commentator Anousheh Hussain.
1: And I'm Kirsten Powers, political analyst and columnist. This is Uninterrupted.
0: Yes, this is, this is what happens. This. Stop interrupting. I'll interrupt tell you me. what, as a father of interrupt- daughters, you're going to call me out what? like that? Let yeah, me yeah, I I, I tell you this. Look it up. It up. We're talking about violence against, against maybe women I'll get right we're on talking that. about a pop star. Please uh-huh. do. Look, everybody's against violence against women. Let's be clear about that. I want to know if there's such a thing in the academic...
1: We're not just attacking the enemy. We're, we're, we're killing tons of civilians. We, we, we bomb a tons? house. How many civilians? We, have, we don't know. I mean, they don't Well, then how can you make this statement? Because if you I, don't, you if you don't know how many groups,
0: civilians, how oh, can you say tons have, of them? How? Okay, just let's back up.
1: Are you and that saying was the us getting on interrupted on TV. But that's something, show that's not going to happen here.
0: No, that is definitely not something that's going to happen here. In fact, that was the entire concept for this podcast. What kind of revolutions could start And what kind of ideas can we put into the world if women were just allowed to finish our thoughts? That's very radical of you, and we're going to find out right
1: here. We are going to have an interview with somebody that's not going to be interrupted, who's an expert, and we're going to get to hear her full thoughts.
0: And Kirsten, you know, I was such a big fan of yours before we even started talking about doing this podcast, and one of the things that I really loved was how you always fight to put in your perspective... (laughs) And fight for your right to finish your thought. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting that
1: that's that's a notable thing to do, right? It is 2018, I'm pretty sure. And I feel like uh, we should be at a point where women should be able to finish our sentences. But as soon
0: as I started talking to you about this idea, you knew exactly what I was talking about. Yeah, and you know what's so interesting is that when I was growing up in Bangladesh, that was a big part of the culture was— not only being expected to be interrupted by men, but that it was their right, and that what you had to say after you were interrupted was not even important and when you came to me with this idea I knew exactly what you were talking about because it's also shocking to see it happen in America in 2018. So I just want to hear a little bit more about
1: how you came to be a a writer and an influential person in American feminism.
0: I know it's actually a really crazy story because I was born and raised uh, in Dhaka, Bangladesh but I actually spent almost a decade um, as a feminist policy analyst in Washington before I finally went full time with my writing about Five years ago. And honestly, I started doing that because I was so sick and tired of not seeing women of color being portrayed either accurately or having voice in our own stories. So I went full time with my writing. I left my job five years ago. And yeah, I, I became a writer and I became the writer and political commentator I wish I was seeing and reading.
1: That's amazing. And one of the things I love is how much you love your mother and how you talk about her and you say she gave you a feminist soul.
0: Yeah, you know what? I really do. I love my mom so much. She also loves me, by the way. I'm her favorite. She told (laughs) me this. Uh, So my mom was the first feminist I ever knew. And um, she's a former member of parliament in Bangladesh. She's also the editor-in-chief of uh, the country's first feminist magazine. And when I was growing up, she would drag me to all her feminist symposiums all the time, And I thought she was ruining my life. I really did because I wanted to hang out with my friends after school. And now I can say that I owe her my life because she really taught me from a very young age that outside of our incredibly privileged bubble in Bangladesh, women and girls were denied access to health care, clean water and education and so much more just because they were female. And Kirsten, you know, I have been reading your work and following your your work for so long. But what a lot of people don't know is that you're actually born to archaeologist parents in Alaska. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, I've had an interesting journey. My mother also was very influential in in my path. She was a real trailblazing feminist woman in the 1970s. She left her home in Washington D.C. and went to Fairbanks, Alaska, which Alaska is pretty intense. Fairbanks, Alaska is super intense where she was an archaeologist and and worked at the university as a professor in the Department of Anthropology and she always taught me about feminism and equality and I'm pretty sure I was the only 10-year-old in Fairbanks, Alaska who was calling herself a feminist. And after I left college, I ended up working in the Clinton administration and then I just sort of went on this interesting kind of journey professionally where I did a lot of different kinds of jobs. And so I left there and I was recruited to America Online and I worked there during the, the the tech boom. And I had thought I was kind of done with politics after the administration, but sort of fell back into it in New York City and was working for the New York Democratic Party. And I worked on Andrew Cuomo's first governor's race and different political campaigns. And while I was doing that, I got invited to go on TV. And that sort of launched me into my next phase of my career. And I became a political analyst. And I started writing a column for the New York Post. And then I got hired by the Daily Beast. And now I'm at USA Today. So it's, it's been a really fascinating journey.
0: So every week, I really want to dig into a topic with you, you know, something that we're seeing a lot of on our feed, something that's in the news, something that you and I really want to talk about, because we want our guests to also delve into this topic with us.
1: Exactly. Because I think one of the big problems that we see in the mainstream media is that it's very surface level. There, It's very fast. There's not a lot of time. You don't really get to go into the deep issues. You don't really get to hear people's full thoughts. And you don't in particular get to hear a lot of women finishing their sentences. And so- Here, we're going to go deep on issues. We're going to talk about things that are important, and we're going to take the time that we think that these issues need.
0: So that brings us to our first ever episode where we're discussing an issue that I could talk about forever, one of my favorite issues, which is feminism, and specifically corporate feminism, which has been all over the headlines of late with the whole fallout with Facebook, and really zooming in on Cheryl, lean in, Sandberg. Yes.
1: So this is going to be the big topic that we're going to talk about and really dig into today. Yeah.
0: You know, this is such a story. You know, Facebook scandal has really been ongoing since since 2016. But what's come to light recently is how involved Facebook top brass was in really quashing all criticism and negative press about Facebook. And it's really brought in Cheryl Sandberg's role, because obviously it really comes down to her and Mark Zuckerberg, but she's really getting a lot of the backlash. And a lot of this obviously has to do with the book that she wrote five years ago, her gazillion-dollar-making book, Lean In. But, you know, I think we sh- to explain a little more
1: about what went on is that she was overseeing opposition research into George Soros. There's an article in The New York Times today about that. George Soros was attacking Facebook and other tech companies, and they wanted to find out whether or not he was maybe shorting the stock. And so they did some investigations. Where I think she got into some trouble is they hired a Republican firm, an opposition research firm. And I think there's a question about whether or not what she was doing was wrong.
0: Exactly. But the big topic for this week is not Sheryl Sandberg and Facebook, but corporate feminism and how Sheryl Sandberg really embodies this term. And a lot of people— Want to know what corporate feminism is. In fact, when Kirsten and I were talking about it, we kind of had two different explanations of it. So we looked it up. <laughs> and the official definition from Quora is that corporate feminism is basically the Cheryl Sandberg brand of feminism that encourages assimilation into corporate mainstream rather than a complete deconstruction or at least a rethinking of the system as a whole. Corporate feminism is feminism for rich white women who have a very narrow view of gender equality that stops at ensuring they're able to break the glass ceiling. It doesn't take into account the various other mechanisms of oppression based on class, sexual orientation, race, religion, ability, and it is often harmful to women of color, queer women, gender, and sexual minority women, etc. I I have some issues with that definition, and here's why.
1: I I think that corporate America exists and women who want to compete there need some guidance on how to do it. And that's something that Sheryl Sandberg has offered. And I do also think that we want to have women in senior positions in corporate America because we hope that they will be different kinds of leaders. And, and that is one of the reasons I think Sheryl Sandberg is getting attacked a lot is because there's this expectation that if you hold yourself up as a feminist leader, that you're going to be different. You're going to come and you're going to you're going to lead differently. But that's not what she's doing. And I think that that's what a lot of people who get to that level don't do. They sort of pull the ladder up behind them, right, rather than using that power for something more than just enriching or empowering themselves. Yeah.
0: But I also think what's interesting is that corporate feminism— I mean, we can't just—I have a problem with this definition as well because it's not only about white women boardroom feminism. It's also about the business— and branding and selling of feminism. I mean, it makes me think about how corporate feminism doesn't just land on the shoulders of Sheryl Sandberg. I mean, I wrote about this a couple years ago in an article about Nike's pro-hijab line, which you know, kind of presented itself like the vehicle through which uh, women's empowerment was going to be delivered to the Middle East. But they were tapping into a billion dollar Muslim fashion industry in the Middle East, which is, you know, obviously for modestly dressed Muslim athletes. Even there, we're seeing Nike, which isn't, you know, a social justice organization. They're a business. So just like that, corporate feminism is also about how you package, package and sell feminism.
1: Yeah, and I think that there is an argument to be made that, so on the one hand, obviously, they're almost definitely doing that for craven reasons. They want to make money, right? It's not necessarily because they are interested in feminism. It's possible that they are. There's probably some feminists who work there, but at the end of the day, Nike's mission is not feminism. And and so, I think when you see people using feminism, Taylor Swift is another one, yeah. for example, Beyonce. A lot of people felt that you know Taylor Swift decided to be a feminist because that was popular with her with her audience, and so it was something that could help make her more popular so There's a downside to that, obviously, but there's an upside to it as well, right? Because when I was growing up in the 70s and 80s, nobody called themselves a feminist. The idea of a Taylor Swift-type person saying, I'm a feminist, was unheard
0: of. So... I think there is a benefit even if they don't do it perfectly. But you know what? There is also something dark about the feminism that Taylor Swift and Beyonce practices because it is similar to Sandberg's feminism. It's, it comes down to the bottom line, not really the empowerment of women, even though that might be the message. I mean, what do you think?
1: yeah, I think that one one of the problems as and I'm saying this as a woman who is in the public eye and who expresses opinions and is that I, I do feel like too often that we expect women leaders to be perfect in a way that we don't expect of male leaders. And so, as we were saying before, no, they're not perfect. They don't they're not doing everything perfectly. And I think it's good to call them to do better. But I also think it's good to recognize what they're doing. Now, what they should be doing better, in my opinion, is is using their platform to talk about hard things. I think one of the criticisms of Sheryl Sandberg, for example, is this idea of – Well, if you just work hard and you just march into the boardroom and you just use the right language and you just say the right things, then you'll get ahead. Well, that's actually not how it works. There's a lot of structural inequality in this country. And so you need to be doing something to address that structural inequality and stop acting like everybody can get to where you are, especially when Sheryl Sandberg went to Harvard University. She's not your average person. Right. And so just to back up for a second. I, I'm curious to know, what did you, when Lean In came out, the book came out, did you read it or what did you think about it? What was your
0: reaction to the whole movement? It's so funny that you asked that question because I was thinking a lot about that. And this book came out five years ago when I was 33 and I never read it. I didn't even think about reading it. And a lot of the things that I can articulate now, a lot of the terms that we use, I feel like more... More so now than we did even five years ago, like white privilege, (laughs) corporate feminism. Uh, Even if I couldn't articulate it back then, I knew it. And it was tangible enough for me that I knew without articulating it uh, that that book was not for me.
1: Hmm. Yeah. You know? I was thinking back on it. (laughs) I didn't read it either when it first came out. Um, I did recently read part of it uh, just because I wanted to read about her advice for negotiating mm-hmm. because that's one area yes. that I'm I'm very good at advocating for other people. I have not been that great at advocating for, for myself, so. which is a common thing with women. And mm-hmm. so I was interested in what she had to say. And uh, frankly, she had some interesting insights, I think, you know, about how women should approach negotiating for themselves. But I had a sort of similar reaction, I think I thought, This seems kind of like white lady feminism. And even though I'm a white lady, I'm not really into that. And this is a person who I just have nothing in common with. She has so much money, so many resources. And I just felt like, how could she possibly have anything to say that's relevant to my life?
0: Yeah. And, you know, we can't just also bash all white ladies. There are some amazing white women in my life, Kirsten included, white women allies. But I did read that her book is for... (laughs) Women who have different sets of problems, six-figure salaries, nannies, and just just a whole different set of problems.
1: So I guess the big question is, has the
0: corporatization of feminism hurt the cause? I think that's a really good question. That's a really big question. I think a part of me wants to say yes, but then the other part of me wants to say no, because Feminism is a movement, right? It's not just like, let's just check that off our list, equality for women, accomplished, on, on your to-do list. I think anytime we talk about feminism, these are the conversations we need to be having, right? It's amazing to be sitting here uh, with Kirsten Powers talking about white women feminism. And not getting interrupted. And not getting interrupted. <laughs> <laughs> you have such amazing things to say, Kirsten. <laughs> You're such a smart woman. Um, yeah. I I think it really, it it brings that. But that also doesn't mean that she's not a feminist, you know? I mean, I I feel like it comes down to how do we really view ambition and women, ambitious women in society, right? Yeah, well,
1: I think that that's that's very true. But I also, I I think there is this issue of whether or not, can you be a feminist just for your little group of people or doesn't feminism require something more of you? Doesn't it require that you... Uh, y- that you're going against the system, right? It's not, it, this is a very capitalist,
0: Society. you know, feminism,
1: yes. right? So it's, it's it's definitely buying into a lot of the ideas that I think Americans have absorbed. And it's not, it's not very countercultural. Mm-hmm. And I think feminism is supposed to be countercultural. Yeah. And so it's buying into this idea of if you work hard, keep your nose to the grindstone, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Yeah. It's a myth, actually. It is. It it's is. a myth. And so if you're going to do, you know, if you're going to be part of something that's supposed to be countercultural, but you're perpetuating a myth that's very capitalist and that doesn't work except for a very small group of people,
0: then I think that's a problem. And I also think the timing is is everything. I mean, this isn't 2013 anymore. And I think the conversations we're having uh, are different because... We have, in my opinion, and some would say, you know, a fact, um, a white nationalist, racist, sexist, misogynist uh, precedent. So the things that he says about women, grabbing us by our pussies, admitting to sexual assault, calling women dogs, not to mention his attack on black women, women of color in general. I mean, it goes on and on. So when we talk about feminism now, it has to be through a completely different lens. I just think the timing for Sheryl Sandberg really sucks.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know if there would ever be a really good time for what's happening My to Sheryl My role Sandberg. in the
0: Russian hacking <laughs> <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> was not that big. You're listening to Uninterrupted, and we'll be right back with our guest of the week. So welcome back to Uninterrupted. I'm Anusha Hussein And I'm Kirsten Powers. And we are back now with our guest in studio, Sarah Sippel. She's the president of Change Center for Health and Gender Equity. Welcome, Sarah. And thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for having me today. Sarah, we've been having this
1: conversation about corporate feminism and in particular talking about Cheryl Sandberg because she's been in the news uh, in the last week sort of nonstop for her behavior at Facebook. And one of the issues has been, how could a feminist do this? And we're just sort of interested in what's your take on that?
2: Well, I think one of the things is I, I think about in this situation is that, first, that that Sheryl Sandberg, in her position as COO at, at Facebook, that she didn't get there because she's a feminist. She got there I think, as a result of feminism, I think when we think about women in leadership positions, so, um, so I think that that that's an important thing to to remember, and you know that the when it comes to feminism, also that what what are women doing uh, with the power that they have when they get to those high levels of leadership, um, and so that's a question that I ask, and that she's is she using her power for the issue of gender equality and the greater good of democracy. And in this case, we see that she's not.
1: Right. But it's interesting. Can we just unpack a little bit what you said about she didn't get there from being a feminist? What did you mean by that?
2: I mean that she got there, her pursuit to, to getting to that level of success. I mean, she has a very distinguished career and she has worked very hard to get to where she is in her position as a leader in, in the corporate world. Um, and so what I mean is that it's it's not, she didn't get there by fighting for gender equality and human rights and good governance. She got there for the hard work that she did. And I think because of feminism, uh, doors have been open to women in all sectors, so
0: I think that's an important distinction. That's a really important distinction. Have you read Lena? Do you? Yes, I, I have, have. Yes. What did you think about it?
2: So I had I had very mixed feelings. I think as um, as a, a woman who I, as a feminist, self identified as a feminist, but and I also have carry privilege for for being white, and so this whole concept of lean in, like, I get it, but I don't, it doesn't serve everybody. And I felt like there was, and I think afterwards she responded to those critiques. Um, and so I was hopeful in her response to the critiques that, okay, well, maybe she's going to get it and that see that as a feminist that she can—and the power that she has can open doors and really bring a gender—not just that gender analysis, but also a a justice frame— Um, and
0: lends to, to what she's doing. But as we see, that didn't happen. <laughs> well, I love that you said that, because when this book came out, and I was talking about this earlier, when this book came out five years ago, I didn't read it, didn't even think about reading it. And with even though I wasn't able to articulate it at the time, I knew it wasn't for me and it didn't speak to me. And one of the criticisms that there is about corporate feminism and what I have is that I feel like it completely doesn't speak to women of color. It kind of dismisses us altogether. So it's interesting that you said that. Yeah. And I think,
2: you know, and because I think I could relate with my own experience kind of in my you know I've made a career of fighting for women's rights and equality and so so while I could relate to this sense of lean and I was like oh yeah when I'm in a meeting at you know with on state department whatever it's like I need to lean in more I need to speak up more and so that I found it very encouraging to myself on a personal level but um, but again then being disturbed by it's like yeah but that's easy for me to say and how is this? So, so I kind of so I have very mixed. That's where I have a mixed bag of of, of emotions and feelings about it, because the question is, is is, does it do more harm than good in the sense that if she's perpetuating white feminism, kind of thing? And so I was like, does that do more harm than than good?
1: And I don't know. Well, so. It- Yeah, it's an interesting question because I think a lot of times I know when I was younger and I was very activist feminist, I looked at people who went into the corporate world a little bit with disdain, maybe feeling like, why are you becoming part of the system? Right. Why are not you dismantling the system? And I ended up sort of falling into a job. I'd worked in the Clinton administration, and I sort of – I got recruited by AOL, actually, during the sort of the heyday, right? And I I had no interest. I was like, I don't want to work in corporate America. But then I felt like they were doing really interesting things, and I was going to get to travel the world. And so I took the job. I had all this money. And I started to rethink it a little bit, and I thought, this is power, actually, where I now – will not have to marry – stay in a bad relationship with somebody because maybe I can't afford to leave. I won't have to take a job that I don't want. I had never really thought about that. And I think men understand power and money in a way that a lot of times women don't. Oh, yeah. And so when I look at a Sheryl Sandberg and I see people saying, well, she's just part of the system, I think, well, don't we kind of want women to be part of the system But like you said, once you get there and you have that power, you need to be using that power to start helping people to start dismantling the system a little bit. Right. Right. And that's where I the conversation around. Is she a
2: feminist? what kind of feminism is this and and to me that just becomes such a distraction mm-hmm. because it is about systems of power and and what are people doing with their power and that's what i'm more concerned about i do believe that getting women into leadership positions is important in and of itself i think for boys and girls and others growing up to see diversity in leadership positions is a good thing for society but as you know but it 's not going to be any different than men in the sense that you are going to get some women and men because we can look at there are men in power who use their power in a way to advance gender equality and rights for all um, and then there there are those who don 't so it 's going to be the same with women or anybody of any any gender there 's going to be a mixed bag right
0: and it 's so important to see women in leadership positions because it 's like that quote you can 't be what you don 't see. You have had an amazing career. Tell us more about. Being a leader in in your field, well, I think and kind of related to this conversation. So
2: before I was at Change, I was many years at at Catholics for Choice, uh, the international program, and and then and kind of really holding. It's my advocacy has been really about holding governments accountable to the global human rights, sexual reproductive rights agenda and so the work i did with catholics for choice at the united nations was about making sure that governments countries were not being bullied by the vatican basically in terms of trying to hold back um, any advancement in the the global rights agenda and you know it was interesting during my time there and thinking about you know the catholic church and Women as priests, and I so early, and I was raised Catholic, and so, and really thinking like, oh, we need women should be priests, women should be priests, and then it got to a point. I was like, why should women become leaders in such an oppressive institution? <laughs> I was like, that is not. I mean, it's so faulty. Now, that's I think. I think the 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 Vatican and the Catholic Church is is an extreme. It's not. <laughs> Uh, nominally, it's it's not a democracy like as the U.S. government is, um, but I think it is this question about women in leadership, and when you have institutions or corporations that are fraught with inequalities, that's it's it's really, you know, how do we dismantle the injustices that are being perpetuated by these institutions and the question can women in leadership positions make a difference? And I think that's what we're struggling with. I think with Cheryl Stanberg. That's yeah. what I'm struggling with. And and it's frustrating because I think I personally, you know, fighting for rights all my life, you know, like I want to see women empower and use their power for the good. Um, of the cause for rights, and when we don't see that, it's frustrating.
1: Well, and I think one question is, should we hold women to higher standards than men? And you were talking about, you know, there are men that that are doing things for gender equality, but you look at a Mark Zuckerberg, I mean, he certainly... Maybe he didn't write "Lean In," but he really represents himself as somebody who's very progressive. And uh, you know, wh- why are we holding Sheryl Sandberg to a higher standard than Mark Zuckerberg when he
2: is the top dog <laughs> at Facebook? Yeah. And I think it goes to this this point that that because she has been out there as a feminist, and I think because of so many women and I think men too others do. They, we do have high. We have hopes. Maybe we're we're learning that it's not a rational feeling or, or to have hope that a woman is going to step up and be different. Um, and I think
0: that's that's one of the questions. Have you in your career <laughs> been interrupted? Do you feel like you are always interrupted? Because that is kind of the, the basis. <laughs> Talk to us about what it's what your experience with man interruptions in your career. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's.
2: It, I, I was actually just having lunch today with a friend who's in the. She works in public relations, and we were, It was it was. We were talking about interruption and also the. You say something and that at a meeting, and then you know a couple few minutes later, some man at the table then says the same thing, and everybody says like, "Oh, that's such a great a idea." idea. And you're like, yeah. "Wait, it's my idea." <laughs> so, so it's like it's it's and it comes at you uh-huh. in so many different ways, and it's um, it's so uh, you know it's 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 so disempowering, and I think that's where I really was struck by Lean In because it was that how do I, as somebody feeling, being interrupted so many times, (laughs) I was like, do I need to lean in more? But then, (laughs) you you know, it's like, but then it's, it's so easy for women, I think, to kind of blame ourselves. That it's it's like, that I didn't get my point across. I didn't say it loud enough. I didn't say it in the way that it was heard. Instead of, naming it for what it is that somebody in the room has interrupted me that it
1: wasn't about. Well, and, and just to, to go back to this idea of corporate feminism, do you think that there is a silver lining in it in the sense of if you have a Taylor Swift or uh, you know any any famous person identifying a, as a feminist, even if they're not the perfect feminist and they don't do everything well, but it makes people feel like feminism is a good thing? Is that good or is it bad? I don't
2: know. I mean, I wouldn't say it's good or bad. I mean, I think that we're having this conversation is a good thing. I, I just don't want us to become um, distracted by who's a feminist, who's not a feminist, what kind of feminism. And just to me, it's like if, as long as we're talking about advancing women's rights and equality. And I am hopeful with the new class of Congress. With the young yes. women, the diversity, yes. these are women who have been outspoken on progressive values and, and rights language. So so I think it'll, we'll be watching to yeah. see how much. So I think if we can have this new generation of women leaders who are out there and becoming successful and gaining positions of power and influence while being feminist or being advocates for women's rights, I think, is a really exciting
0: thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. That was Sarah Sippel, our fantastic guest for this episode. She's the president of Change, Center for Health and Gender Equity, and uh, a fantastic feminist ally. Thank you so much <laughs> for having me. Onward. <laughs> Onward, seriously. You're listening to Vox Media's Uninterrupted, and we'll be right back. So welcome back to Uninterrupted. I'm Anousheh Hussein And I'm Kirsten Powers. I really enjoyed hearing Sarah talk about the beginning of her career when she was being interrupted and how she was thought it was her fault and she thought she should maybe lean in more. I thought that was hilarious. We always think it's our fault. What I
1: thought was so interesting is that when you asked her that question, and I love that you asked her that question... I thought she was going to say no because she works in this feminist world. And so I thought, oh, well, certainly people are more evolved there and they're feminists, so they're not going to be interviewing, interrupting
0: women. And yet yeah. it's happening everywhere. I mean, basically, nobody's safe. Nobody's safe. No sector is safe either. <laughs> well, every week I really want to end with um, what is giving us life. So what is giving you life this week, Kirsten? Well,
1: what basically is I feel like keeping me sane is meditation. And as you know, I've been meditating for about a year probably, and I've found it completely life-changing. It's the only way I think I can be sane and calm in the Trump era. And when I'm on TV and having to argue with Trump supporters who often can be very frustrating for me, But I recently took it to another level. I learned transcendental meditation, which has just absolutely rocked my world. And I'm just loving it. And I just can't recommend some form of meditation to you listeners to help ground you and to help keep you sane uh, during a time that I think a lot of people are really struggling.
0: Yeah. Well, I have two things that are giving me life. And they are actually two women. And one of them is Ilhan Omar the congresswoman from Minnesota who's uh, Somalian, American, Muslim, hijabi. And I feel like her win in the age of Trump. I mean, I have so many days where I just feel so defeated. <laughs> I feel like this is not worth anything. And she, every time I look at her, she was on The Daily Show the other day. And I was just like, it's such a sign from the feminist gods. It just means keep going. And I think her, her win is such a It's the middle finger to everything Trump stands for. I love it. And the other thing that is giving me life is Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who always gives me life. But today, uh, there was a picture of all the Supreme Court justices with Kavanaugh. It's like their class picture. And RBG is in the front row giving Kavanaugh the side eye. And you guys have to look this picture up. It is so great. This this woman is 90. She broke some ribs a couple weeks ago, and here she is. She's not only back, you know, rocking it, but she's giving Kavanaugh the side-eye. We are all Ruth Bader Ginsburg today. I definitely am.
1: <laughs> so that was our first show, and we hope that you enjoyed it. We would love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your stories about being interrupted mm-hmm or not being interrupted the way that you get people to stop interrupting you. And we'd love some feedback. Also on the show, let us know what you thought about the topic, about the guest, or anything else.
0: More next week. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Anusha Hussain. And I'm Kirsten Powers.